listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Hello, and welcome to Pharmacists United for Truth and Transparency, the PuttCast. Putt is a not-for-profit industry watchdog organization dedicated to exposing the truth about the shady, abusive practices of pharmacy benefit managers and how they affect American patients, healthcare providers, and taxpayers. On the PuttCast, we'll talk to pharmacy industry experts, influencers, and patients, always with the goal of bringing the truth, transparency, and solutions to America's prescription drug affordability crisis. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the PuttCast. This is Monique Whitney. I am the Executive Director of Pharmacists United for Truth and Transparency. And it is time for our annual legislative overview, what is happening with PBM regulation across the country. And of course, there's no better person to be in this conversation with me than my Vice President of PUT, Lauren Young, who is also uh, a guest today and also my co-host. Hey, Lauren. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for being here. You've had a lot to watch across the country so far this session, haven't you? Yes, I love this time of year. I really like seeing how different bills are being able to be introduced in different states and see what our members are doing and how we can support them at PUT by breaking down what they're seeing, what the talking points PCMA is giving out to their legislators, and how we can really combat that. Yeah. And thank you for doing that because you're so good at that. And it really is a service for everyone, members and friends at PUT. You're you're amazing. I don't know how you do it, but thank you for doing it. (laughs) And then uh, we are very pleased to have a special guest with us. Uh, Many of the people who are listening to this podcast will recognize this esteemed gentleman, Mr. Michael Wright. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here. And for anyone who doesn't know, uh, Michael, you are the Vice President uh, of Government Affairs at American Pharmacies. American Pharmacies is based in Austin, Texas, but you do work, actually American Pharmacies is based in Texas. You're based in Austin, Texas, and you do work all over this country for independent pharmacy. That's right. We're in, uh, we're doing business in 37 states. We have political uh, lobby teams in Austin, of course, Lansing, Michigan, um, Phoenix, New Mexico, along with the new federal office uh, in Washington, D.C., where we're working on behalf of independent firms. And we're going to want to talk about that federal uh, office that you have just opened up, because that's going to be really, really good news for independent pharmacies and for our patients. We actually have a lot to talk about today. Just about everybody knows I'm based in Arizona. Arizona is a state that, generally speaking, we don't like a lot of regulation. And for years, we were not even, it wasn't even in our on our radar that we could try to have a PBM licensure bill. And I'm really pleased to say that this year for the first time, we uh, we introduced a bill. It looks like it's going to pa- pass the Senate. It looks like it's going to pass the House, fingers crossed. We don't want to change anything. But I, I wanted to start with the state discussion because you know, I think there are states like Arizona where you're, we're just finally starting to get a foothold and, and catching up with some of the more sophisticated legislation that's out there in other states. But I think, Lauren, let me just, you know, start with you and tell me what what states you've been looking at and what you've found interesting so far. So as most of our listeners know, I'm based in Illinois, but I do tend to watch all over the country. 
I recently watched a, a hearing in Indiana that was in mid-February, and Indiana has had several PBM bills over the last few years, and Senator Charbonneau in Indiana, he knows a lot about pharmacy benefit managers. He understands how to dismantle talking points very eloquently in his chair position of his uh, Senate committee, and so he has brought Senate Bill 8 back to try to get it passed a little further. This bill is really about getting rebates back to consumers, and the important part of what he is doing is he is helping lead the conversation that really is pinpointing the issue that PCMA tries to bring up of the rebates are already passing through to who they want it to pass through to. They tell the employers, you know, their clients that it's passing through to them and they're able to use that to pay down on premiums or they're able to use that how it is. But the legislators are hearing from patients and consumers that they're never seeing any of the benefits. Their premiums are continuing to go up. Their prices at the pharmacy counter are continuing to go up. And so those rebates are not doing anything. And so the transparency that Indiana is trying to bring, I think is really important. And Indiana could not be more different than Illinois in leadership and things like that based on the red versus blue state. And so that's really why when I was looking at Indiana and I was really watching that hearing, I could see what PCMA lobbyist came up and discussed. And he was going on and on about how he didn't know how the definitions of some of the things in this bill were going to be received. And he was trying to play to the fact that Indiana doesn't like a lot of regulation, similar to Arizona. And uh, he was trying to say that they don't want to give more authority to the Department of Insurance to try to keep any of the insurance companies or pharmacy benefit manager companies in line. And so that was a talking point that we're starting to see across the country that from the pharmacist point of view and from the state association point of view, they are trying to make sure that state agencies are more aware of what transparency needs to be happening and uh, different fines that could be levied for these pharmacy benefit managers that are registered or licensed in the state. And so to hear PCMA say, no, you don't want to give any state agency that authority to do that because that really isn't going to help. There, there's not going to be a decrease in profits from the pharmacy benefit manager or the insurance companies was you know, something we all know, they think, but to hear them say it out loud during a Senate hearing was evil just like we know they are. They truly never cease to amaze me. Um, and, and this would actually be a good time, Michael, to get your input on that and some of the other things that you've been working on. Uh, you, you and I have been watching some things in New Mexico, Minnesota. You've got things in Texas. Please jump in and, and tell us what you've been watching and what you're seeing. Well, uh, we are highly engaged. I'm not sure we're watching too much. We're highly engaged in a lot of elements. Pretty germane and front and center for us is uh, not only the active sessions that are going on, but I do want to comment on the big bill that was passed in Michigan last uh, year, uh, House Bill 4348. The Department of Insurance, uh, as of the Monday of this week, has started rulemaking on that 37-page bill, and we're very pleased with that. We're, we're going to be going to Lansing pretty extensively, Miguel and Rodriguez, our general counsel, and I, uh, to input on the rulemaking process for implementation of that bill. It is 
the kitchen sink, everything that one can think of from steering to retroactive fee uh, bans to non-retaliation, on and on and on, mail order, credentialing, that Michigan 4348 is the mother of all bills and uh, we're extremely proud of it, but right on target, we have a willing partner and Lauren touched on the departments of insurance and we work as hard with the departments of insurance on the rulemaking, on the enforcement element, their compliance divisions. We spend lots of time with those folks and it's a critical piece after this legislation is passed or before it's passed. Uh, so we're very pleased with that rulemaking up in Michigan, Arizona. I think we're probably going to talk about uh, licensure out there is the only state in the nation without any oversight of the PBMs. Of course, several of them are based there, but nonetheless, that's a drastic, a tragic omission in the last uh, eight or 10 years. We do have two unique bills that I will want to talk about. They both deal with reimbursement. It is my contention that the ingredient side of things is so tragic in reimbursement that what we have decided to do is to mimic in both Texas and New Mexico, the Medicaid managed care, the fee for service fee where the fee is drastically higher and, and usually three to 5% of the market. We have got bills in both cases to mandate that the Medicaid managed care contractual arrangements pay the same fee structure. As an example in Texas, that would take the dispensing fee and Medicaid managed care from somewhere around 25 to 50 cents to nearly $9. Has a pretty significant fiscal note, probably 20, $25 million here, much more nominal in New Mexico. Both of those bills are on the move in both cases. They're tough bills to pass, but and it is in PBM space because the plans are arguing against it, driving up costs, all of those kinds of things. Uh, we're going for all out for the money. Now, lots of other things we have done in the past, auditing, transparency, a lot of things long done past in, in, in Texas and New Mexico, anti-steering. We're going for fee structure uh, in both of those states. We have seen it in California. We have seen it in West Virginia. We've seen it in other states where that fee is there. Much like in Michigan, where they have a Medicaid managed care fee built into the budget every legislative session that is north of $10 over there. And that's a handsome number, very handsome number. Uh, so I wanted to comment on those types of bills. We passed House Bill 1919 in Texas, the last legislative session. And just so you know, Texas only meets every two years, 140 calendar days every two years. Technically, we don't want them up here. They'll think up something if they come up here, but, um, which is generally not good. But there is a massive effort underway by PCMA, the health plans, their gaggle of lobbyists, 50 plus lobbyists to repeal the House Bill 1919 and the steering bill. And we are playing defense very steadily on that section of insurance code and daily paying defense. They put up billboards, they're running ads, they're all over social media, although there's 181 at the Capitol that vote. That stuff is for the public out there, but that 181 at the Capitol are the people who vote, and those are the ones we pay attention to, not what PCMA is saying or putting out on social media. I could care less what they're saying there, but uh, we're, we're on playing defense a tremendous amount. 
on uh, any repeal of that section of code. They do not like that bill at all. We're contributing up in Minnesota via the Mindy Group and, and Deb uh, up there. I got so many things in my head. <laughs> contributing in Tennessee and Florida. I have never seen quite as much activity, positive activity, and state pharmacy associations and or advocacy level groups in pharmacy going at the PBMs. It's becoming, it's very refreshing to see that level of activity going on in this country. There are ill winds blowing against them, the PPMs. Uh, people have realized that maybe they're not necessary or they're driving up costs in of themselves. Very pleased with that. And I think it's a time to strike in, in any and all settings on anything related to these folks. Uh, just like you mentioned in Arkansas, that's why we're strengthening the ERISA law that's already passed, going after the out-of-state, domiciled outside of the state, so that the Department of Insurance can get at them. That language came from the Department of Insurance to us and ask us to run that up there. So, um, and we're limiting commissioner latitude in any state that we can. We are, we're, we're giving them more authority, but we're also diminishing their latitude to make discretionary changes to insurance code on laws that have already been passed. We want the legislature to speak has the authority to direct the agencies to do what the intent of the bills passed were. So that's kind of a brain dump on, on some of the things we're working on. Like I said, we're, we're highly engaged in mobile states and including the federal piece now, which I think is absolutely necessary. That's, that's amazing, Michael. Just, you know, you and, and you've said a couple of things that I, I think would spark a lot of people's interest just starting for a moment with you, you said something so wonderful about you've never seen such positive activity pharmacists pharmacies and you know organizations coming together to to fight pbm overreach i mean that's been my experience and lauren i think that's been your experience and and we've both been around long enough to remember the days when it just wasn't that way but it, it does kind of spark this question which is what is it that you think is leading to this kind of energy and involvement what what what's what's happening out there that's causing more and more local level activists if you will my gut tells me and i've, I've worked a lot in this space i think folks are now watching out as pharmacy should and all of us should for the patient i know lauren talked about this i think in that messaging when you make a case like on a steering bill that's a patient choice issue that's a patient centric issue and when we found in Michigan, we found in Texas, when we found in New Mexico on patient steering, you keep the patient focused there. Both sides of the aisle are empathetic to that. Both Republicans and Democrats are empathetic to that. I think there's just a cumulative effort in this country realizing that there are these middlemen in healthcare that nobody even knew about a few years ago that are driving, help driving up costs collecting rebates and not paying them back, or they're not coming down to the point of sale where the patient actually benefits. Uh, I think it's cumulative a lot, but I know on the steering, it's a patient choice issue. That, and of course, our bills have gone after the, the affiliated stores where in that vertical integration, an organization owns the pharmacies, they own the plan, they own the entire decision tree on a patient. It speaks to that. 
I think those two elements, cumulative and, and, and the patient, is being left out of this mix somehow. That's my opinion. I could be glad to be wrong, but I think it's- I, I would agree with that, Michael. I think that the Thank pendulum you. is finally swinging. It, you know, it's reached the crest on the PBM side, and it's finally starting to swing back mm -hmm. towards where it should be. And I think that the winds that independent pharmacies have gotten in Michigan and Texas and Louisiana, you know, across the country, I think other states are seeing that it's possible and they exactly. are, they're, they're seeing hope and they're seeing that, okay, a group of pharmacists were able to get this accomplished. We should be able to do that in our state. Now, if we can figure out how to clone Dr. Oliverson and have him be a legislator in everyone's <laughs> state, I think that should probably be on your to-do list because that would be immensely helpful to have someone, you know, we're seeing providers step out and advocate for their patients in a way that they haven't done previously, either yeah. because of restrictions through their workplace, or maybe they just hadn't been touched by the right patient story at that point. But, you know, we're seeing a mass increase of providers getting squeezed out by Optum and United Healthcare and things like that. And I think they're realizing that, okay, they took as much blood from the stone of independent pharmacies that they can, and they need to figure out a new host for this. And so they're going after them. Absolutely, Lauren. There's, you made mention of Dr. Tom Oliverson. He's an anesthesiologist out of Houston. He is the incoming chair of NCOIL. He's the chairman of insurance committee here, very powerful, in the top four powerful people in the Texas legislature. He gets it. He speaks it. The doctors are experiencing a lot of the same things that we are. But there's another element, too, that I'd like to address, Lauren and, and uh, Monique. And another element is that the advocacy groups in some therapeutic categories have really woken up to supporting, they know their patients are disadvantaged by these PBMs. That in particular, oncology, rheumatology, HIV, AIDS, those three therapeutic areas, those advocates are now are standing there side by side. They know their patients are being disadvantaged by this rationing, by these decisions that they're making on formularies and stuff. They know that something's wrong there. In the case of Texas Oncology here with 31 clinics in the state of Texas, paying over a million dollars in rebates or uh, clawbacks per week mm -hmm. to the PBMs. You think they don't want steering stock? You think they don't want retroactive DIR stock? Those therapeutic partners uh, with us in any given state should be activated and, and, and reached out to. Absolutely. And on the federal level, like you had um, kind of alluded to, Deborah Pat from Texas, oh. she was amazing getting the senators in that committee hearing to understand that as an oncologist, you want her focused on that specialty. You don't want her worrying about your blood pressure medication that is dispensed at a totally different pharmacy. And she's getting that DIR clawback for not being the person who is dispensing oh. the blood pressure medication at her oncology clinic. And so I think that really put into perspective for some of the senators that didn't realize that they are taking money from oncology patients. So that's exactly right from cancer patients. And I think that really did wake some of them up. And I think John Tester, Senator Tester from Montana made it very clear that he wants PBMs 
out of the equation. And I think every single person listening to this podcast would probably applaud that and then did applaud That's it whenever they heard that. Well, Lauren, I applaud you over watching the federal uh, uh, stuff that's going on. That, that was a great panel. Uh, the response from those senators, when you can get somebody of Deborah Papp's level of expertise, uh, who's um, COA and Texas Oncology and American Cancer Society to talk about it. Uh, yeah, the powerful hearings, very powerful. Patient-centric again. There's that patient-centric story. Mm-hmm. Uh, that matters, uh, especially in a condition like oncology. So, you know, one of the things I'm struck by as I'm listening to the two of you talking about that hearing, which I agree was so so wonderful and so heartening to to watch, is that we are seeing some good movement happening at the federal level, where for the longest time we just didn't. It's it's just sort of a fact that states tend to move faster than the federal government. And yet we're seeing things happening. And Michael, you mentioned earlier that American Pharmacies has opened a, an office uh, in DC. I would love for you to you know, talk a little bit about that. And then also, what is your perspective on, on what is happening? You know, and, and please feel welcome to be as candid as you'd like about sure. you know, what, what these bills are and if they're gonna help us or not. But we have a very strong grassroots network of folks who've come up from these state houses and gone to Washington, D.C. We have a match nationwide of every one of our stores now, over a thousand of them, to their congressional people, and we are turning on that advocacy base. So we went up there and hired us a a firm for a four-year stint going forward. We're highly engaged up there. And it's blossomed out beyond the Buddy Carters and the John Testers and these folks. Senator Grassley of Iowa, Senator Cantwell out of uh, Washington State, uh, on and on and on, it is growing. Our Texas delegation has a great deal of power in Washington, D.C. On the Energy and Commerce Committee, we have uh, four or five slots uh, from there. I know those folks personally. Why should we not capitalize on that and tell our story for community pharmacy? But I think that there's going to be a lot of positive activities. Uh, there's already a lot of activities rolling in specific. And I've got a five-page document here with all of the bills and the tracking and all of that. Another element up there that we are engaged with heavily, and we just got appointments set this morning with Federal Trade Commission on this study that they are, to, are doing. Uh, that was looks to be that it would last three years. We find that timeline unacceptable. Uh, We want that at two at the absolute maximum and maybe as short as one. And we're having uh, Senator friends weigh in with the FTC, help us get in front of them. But they are also encouraging speed rather than a three-year long-term delay. The PBMs and uh, PCMA are sending lots of material in truckloads of material, all redacted. It really is not valuable at all. Uh, So the FTC to our, not to our benefit, but to our liking is increasing staff and the attorney staff on the subpoena side. It just shows you how difficult the battle is with these folks. They're armed to the teeth with lots of money, lots of lawyers. We want that accelerated, but FTC and that study is going to be critical. We're submitting data from seven of our stores specific that they have asked for, just what's really happening in the store. 
anecdotal stories are fine, but they're going to need data too. So you know, we're working on all those kinds of things. That's Lots so encouraging to hear, Michael, that you guys are continuing to keep up with the FTC on the uh, 6B study. Absolutely critical that that piece of the agencies, uh, Lauren, the TRICARE issue with veterans and that benefit and stopping that and moving to a mail order is on our radar. Just had email traffic on that this morning. We can't let those kinds of things, a lot of top-down uh, CMS, as difficult as they are, if we can find solutions, i.e. a steering solution inside of Medicare Part D, monumental. We wouldn't have to fix all these state. Well, we'd have to fix on the commercial plans, but if we could fix something or tweak mm -hmm. Medicare D on steering, monumental stuff, uh, in my opinion. So, Those are all things that we've been watching and, and concerned about. And I agree with Lauren. I'm, I'm encouraged to hear you say that you are watching the FTC. My, my fear has been, cause I think, cause this, you know, we're all human beings at the end of the day. My fear has been for a while that with all of the positive movement with the FTC taking on this study with, you know, so many senators, you're right. You mentioned a little while ago that we're seeing more and more senators uh, and, and, and other legislative members in the house starting to understand what's happening. Um, my fear has been that people will say, oh, there, there's this is getting handled or this will be, you know, this it's all going to be okay. And I'm not certainly here to say that isn't the case, but here at Putt, you know, we are boots on the ground fighters for what's going on. And we've seen no indication that anything is remotely close to handled. In fact, just the fact that we're seeing PCMA trying to roll out a, a pretty terrible rebranding campaign calling themselves pharmacy benefit companies and, and whatever else they're trying to do sort of shows that they're not going down with a fight. They never planned to go down without a fight. And for some reason, they really do think that what they're doing with their, you know, dozen plus ways of profiteering in every possible way is good for Americans and, and good for patients. So, you know, it's not handled, but there is progress. And, and so there's every reason to be optimistic. And I guess my, this is a long-winded way of saying, our work is only just beginning. I mean, yay, we're making progress and we got to keep this up. Absolutely. I'd like to comment just if I could on reacting to PCMA and reacting to the plans. I spend less time on it now than I ever did. I spend very little time in the counterpoint, counterpoint arguments anymore. I think if you, once again, I'll repeat it, if the patient is kept at the center of this, if the network adequacy, especially in states with lots of rural communities and maybe no big box stores, that's another heart tugger for and fear for legislators. Worrying what PCMA says, I, I don't spend much time on it anymore. Told the legislator yesterday here at the Capitol, forget what the health plans are telling you. You're running this bill on reimbursement because you lost independent stores in the Dallas Metroplex. That was your intent. Stay with that. You ignore what they're saying. Doesn't matter what they're saying. You're powerful. You're the vice chairman. It's an African-American lady out of Dallas, Texas. She's lost inner city stores. And I, I don't much care what PCMA is saying anymore. They put up billboards right over here. Senator Comey said, I think that's aimed at you. The independent lobbyists are driving up health care costs. Took it as a badge of honor. Really, <laughs> I don't care what they're saying. 
if you stay on the message, if you stay on the intent of the bill and have got the right bill sponsors, that's all over here. It's, uh, I've been at it, I'm an old duck, I've been at this a long time. It's what those legislators think and the right messaging uh, from the pharmacy community to it. Not the complaining. And it's very interesting. Legislators are looking for solutions to a problem. They wouldn't have run a bill for you if they didn't think there was validity in the, in the problem and offer them solutions, not, not the complaining. Absolutely. I could not agree with you more, Michael. I think that makes total sense that you are being a resource for them yes, exactly. to offer solutions for their constituents. And I think that sometimes whenever you, uh, pharmacists hear those talking points from PCMA and they hear the crazy monopoly money style, you know, billions of dollars that are uh, PCMA is claiming they're saving the state. And that just raises uh, the pharmacist's blood pressure. And they're inclined to just say, that's not true. And to try to fight on the ethical stance of it. And you have to remember that your, your legislator really wants to hear it the patient-centric portion of it, because that's who's going to be calling them to complain when you are closed. Mm -hmm. and so that's really what they are trying to fix. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. I, I do I do think I've, I've watched enough of the conversation that the, the trade lobby for the opposition puts out. I've seen how good they can be at introducing red herring topics. And then we all go chasing after that. And then what gets lost is what brought us to the table in the first place. And I, you're right, you know, with the facts are on our side, it can be very intimidating to see millions and millions of dollars thrown into glossy advertising and false promises with no real way to prove if they're happening or not. So <laughs> we're, we're coming toward the, the end of our conversation and there's still so much that, that I want to want to talk about, but Michael, I'd like to lean a little bit on your expertise. You mentioned at the beginning of the podcast about some of the states that, you know, like Michigan, where, where there's been tremendous success with getting good legislation passed. And I'm in a state where we're really at the beginning. It's been a piece here and a piece mm -hmm. there. And we're, we've done the best that we can. But what what are the conditions? What, what should anyone, any pharmacist, any advocate who's going to be taking this fight on, what, what should they be prepared for? How should they temper their expectations? What, what kind of conditions need to be in place in order to either, A, introduce that omnibus bill, because who doesn't want to do that, right? We all do. But also, B, just, you know, to be really ready for the realistic nature of this work? Well, this is not easy work. These bills are not easy to pass. Managing your own personal expectations or association's expectations. There is a tendency in pharmacy community right now to spend a lot of time, and we're spending a fair amount of time on test and treat expansion down here and uh, expansion of immunizations. The story that pharmacy has to tell about access and more immunization access as a result of the beyond belief demonstrated effort during COVID is just frightening. It's a, it's a tremendous story. What are the conditions for it? I mean, it's lobbying's a, a very unique, uncertain kind of business. It's a very lobbying and passing the bill. Just because there is a 
cause and a reason doesn't mean that there's not opposing forces to everything. It's not logical because you're being offended or you're being disadvantaged financially. That doesn't mean that there's not people that are the opposition to it. I mean, everything has opposition. There's an opposing force to anything in these given capitals. A tremendous grassroots base, and I, I tell people in my annual reports and stuff, and when you give me the stage, I talk about getting these, knowing these legislators on a personal basis and getting in your stores and telling them your story without complaining or telling them what's happened to patients. But the conditions to passing a bill, it's, it's much simpler than you think. I think pharmacists want to over tell the story. The story is much, much simpler than you think to get at the heart of the issue and to get a response or to get them to act on your behalf in the legislature. We, it, these are all highly complex issues. Try to explain DIR to somebody. It's like they don't know it from a Brussels sprout. And I use a lot of Texas kind of terms here in my talk, but I, uh, <laughs> they don't. Perfect. There's, yeah. over, there's overkill in the pharmacy community generally with trying to explain the issues. We have taken our talking documents now down to very simple graphics, three to four bullet points that get it across, try to make it as much about the patient as we can, not just the economics of survival for these, these independent stores. It's not as complicated, but it also can be extremely challenging and disappointing at any given time. Best laid plans can be derailed. Uh, as I said here in Texas, 50, 60 pharma lobbyists alone working for PCMA in the plants in a state like this. Elements of it to pass a big bill like we did in Michigan. We went in there and invested in a big time lobby firm and gave them direction, specific direction and went for it all. State with bill never had a PBM bill of any type passed. Speaker of the House, we had an ally who knew John Gross in Michigan, who's a, a very prominent, progressive, independent pharmacist. When you start with that kind of power, you best take advantage of it while he's a Speaker of the House. And he wanted a bill. We helped give him a bill, and he helped us pass it. But um, it, it takes, in that kind of an effort, it takes a fair amount of resources and a tight, tight focus in states where you don't have groups, uh, outside groups, uh, uh, cooperatives like us. Um, generally, the partner is the State Pharmacy Association. That there's a push-pull there of scope stuff versus economic viability. They're going hand in hand. The future of the profession is a lot on the MTM scope test and treat, those kinds of things, but economic viability near term and survival, I see Lauren nodding her head, is, is, is pretty much our focus. And I love that AP does look out for the business of pharmacy because that is important as well. And I know that pharmacists are really results driven. That's what we yes. have to find out at Putt. And so I think that some of their frustration, like you alluded to, of trying to over-explain really comes from either not seeing results in their own state and they feel like they really only have one chance to meet with a legislator and they try to get all of it out. And legislators want to hear an elevator speech. They want to hear something right. short, concise, memorable, things like that. And so I think if we can help our members and other advocates really understand that portion of what they need to do, 
I think that will help drive the results as we've seen in Michigan and Texas, Louisiana, uh, Tennessee, even New York has been able to get some fee-for-service back into their managed Medicaid. And so I think that's really what we all want as a group. Rising tide raises all ships. We want to make sure all of our independent pharmacies are able to continue serving their customers. And if we just focus on the scope of practice, there's going to be a lot of these independent pharmacy owners that will have to become chain pharmacists or something else. And that's not really what they want to best serve their customers. It's not really what what this industry should ever have been about anyway. And thank you, Michael, for for going into such a a wonderful explanation. But I ask because when I look at the states like, you know, so the Arizona Independent Pharmacy Coalition started off with really two pharmacists and then it was six pharmacists and now it's about a dozen pharmacists. And this is in a giant, you know, acreage state. We're very like the sixth largest state in terms of our size of our acreage and land. But, you know, we have less than 100 community pharmacies. We have a lot, a lot of little communities out there that wouldn't otherwise have a pharmacy if it wasn't for the the independence. And then also we have the added bonus, if you will, of having a number of PBM mail order, you know, warehouses out here for their pharmacies. Um, And then we have one very large PBM located here. So the idea is to just remind everybody that, the conditions may not always be, you know, exactly perfect. And yes, the tendency is to want to have a one and done situation where you could go to your capital. You could just say, hey, if you could just make all these changes in one bill, then it will all be done. And throughout this conversation, I've been reminded time and again about how this is a is a dynamic process. You can pass a very important bill and then see the opposition spend lots of money to try to repeal it. You can start off with, uh, you know, just an idea about how we need to change things and have a spark of opportunity and be able to do what Michigan did, or you can do what we're doing here and just build this foundation a brick at a time and, and, and just know that you're doing the right thing and, and follow what organizations like American pharmacies have, have been doing for a long time and just know that we're getting it done and together we're getting this done. So I think I think this has just been such a great conversation and I I really would love for this to continue, but we're constrained by time. So Michael, I'd love for you to come back and talk with Lauren and I again. Uh, I think anyone who's listening to this conversation is really benefiting from your wisdom. So Lauren, um, before I close this out, just any any last thoughts from you, our our legislative guru here who (laughs) has been watching everything that's been going on? Legislators do want to hear from pharmacists. The best thing I can say is whenever you are talking to them, do offer to be a resource for them because you are their connection to a lot of their constituents. You're hearing a lot of the same problems over and over again. So sometimes you may not think that what you are doing is impactful, but legislators only hear from some of those patients when it's a very, very big problem. And so you are able to help connect those two people, legislator, their chief of staff, something to that patient and help them get some sort of result. A lot of the people that we are seeing testify in different committee hearings across the country started with a relationship with their pharmacist and they were able to connect them to an elected individual. And so I don't think that our members should ever discount their ability to be that accessible healthcare resource for an elected official. I think they absolutely should do that. And I think they should be able to, you know, 
harness their ability to also vice versa. If the legislator has questions and they're wanting to get information as to what some of those roadblocks are, you as the pharmacist are, need to be able to reach out to those patients and get that data that Michael specified and really try to track that down and get that to the legislator so they can combat those talking points right then and say, you can say this PCMA, but here's the actual proof that we have that what you're saying isn't working in our state. And that's the best way we're going to be able to combat that. Absolutely. Very well said. Thank you. Michael, Lauren, thank you so much for being on today. We're definitely going to pick this conversation up and, and keep talking. Uh, the, the, the wisdom and, and the information, we've only scratched the surface and <laughs> I'm excited to keep talking about it. Uh, for all of our listeners, thank you so much for listening today. We are always interested in your thoughts about our podcast. Please, please let us know what you think. You can uh, contact us at info at TruthRx or through the notes section of our podcast. If you are serious about ending PBM abuse, then please consider joining PUT. You can learn more about us and what we do and how to join at our website, trutharx.org. And until next time, this is the podcast. We will see you next month.